right, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to this electrifying episode of the Geek Garage podcast. And it is the most inclusive and accessible nerd culture audio program on the interwebs, in case you didn't know. I'm your host, David, and join with me um, as kind of, sort of, per usual. He's a pretty reoccurring guest, um, Mr. Zach Rancourt from the Don't Be Crazy podcast and the Top 5 podcast. How are you doing, buddy? Great. I'm doing so great. So yeah, I know. I, I always forget about the second one. I got two podcasts. You do. Utah, give it two. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got uh, Don't Be Crazy, which you kind of, you helm yourself for the most part, I believe. And then uh, the top five you run kind of uh, in tandem with two of your buddies. Yeah, and we just posted our newest episode that you were on as well uh, for VHS 85. That was a doozy. It was a longer one, but editing it was really fun because we were all pretty different except for you and I. But even you and I didn't agree on some of the things. So it was uh, yeah. it was a fun episode for sure. That's uh, I like I like the discourse. Yeah, it was a very divisive episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, divisive movie. I I don't know. Like when I was watching it, I. I didn't feel like it was going to be like, I was like, Oh my God, like this is one of the best ones. Yeah. Uh, And surely this will be like a crowd pleaser. And like, that could still be true. Like I, I really, I, I'm not one to read reviews and, you know, like scour the internet to see what people thought about this and that. I just know that Amanda, your, your friend Amanda that was on (laughs) was not a fan, but that, you know, she's not a fan of found footage films. You know, she likes the beautifully shot stuff. Yeah. Um, not the, uh, the old grainy bullshit that <laughs> you and I tend to go ape shit over from time to time. Yeah, it's just hard because if someone doesn't like something, then it's going to be hard to convince them otherwise because they're already going into it with like an extreme bias. So, yeah, it's yeah. OK. You can't win yeah. them all. Right. Says Jackie Robinson. He didn't, qu- <laughs> he didn't say that. I don't know. No. OK. Well, I mean. Uh, you could have said he did say that and I would have believed you. <laughs> it sounds like something a baseball player would say. So, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's what Jackie Robinson was, right? Baseball yeah. player. Oh okay. yeah. Just making sure I'm not an idiot. I mean, I am an idiot, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> so uh, actually uh, speaking of beautifully shot stuff, we are today talking about the brand new Mike Flanagan series, uh, The Fall of the House of Usher, which is his very last foray um, into the world of Netflix. And he's out of there. Um, thank God, because uh, Netflix fucking sucks now. Dude, uh-huh. they just raised the prices of premium to $23. And they again? Like, yeah, again. Oh my God. And I finally, I, I mean, I share one from my friend, I share his account. Mm-hmm. And I finally got on my screen. It's like, oh, looks like, you know, you're, this isn't on your home network or something like that. And I'm like, fuck oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was tricky doing watching Fall of the House of Usher. But I was able to use my buddy's Plex account because it's one of those things that we could probably tie into the show too, where corporations just have all this greed, right? And they're ruining it for us little people. And I'm like, you can't be upset then if we start pirating stuff because mm-hmm. this is an exorbitant cost for something. $23 a month for streaming is out of control. I mean, Disney Plus, that raised up to like $15 a month, but you can get the ad version for like mm-hmm. $7.99. So I just jump back down to the ad version. And it's not it's not terrible, but it's also just kind of a pain in the ass. You know what I mean? So. Right, yeah. I, I mean... Yeah, uh, depending on what other streaming services you watch, like if you watch a lot of Hulu and Peacock and mm-hmm. don't have like the premium level, then you probably might not even notice the 
added commercials in there for Disney Plus because right. those you know there's still so many other streaming services that um, Prime is another one with their free movies like you know you get the intermittent <clears throat> uh, ads in between uh, and then you're like phone time for 90 seconds oh, <laughs> let's see what's going on on the tiny internet yeah seriously. um but uh, yeah so uh yeah so we're going to talk about follow the house of usher which of course is uh loosely adapted by a bunch of edgar Allan poe's works and we're going to talk about that as well got a bunch of uh just different talking points that directly relate to the show, the characters in the show, the plot, et cetera. And then just, you know, some other outlying um, stuff that, uh, yeah, I think it'll be a fun conversation. David, um, do you know uh, real quick? So whenever I hear a title for something, like you think of pretty woman, right? And you start immediately singing pretty woman walking down the street. Uh-huh. So for the fall of the house of Usher, I don't know why, but I kept singing that Go West song, King of Wishful Thinking. You know, that I'll get over <laughs> you. I know, I, know I, will. I will. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking. So, and I always say, <laughs> what do I say? I said, it's the fall of House of Usher. That's what I kept doing the entire time <laughs> I was watching it. And I'm like, shit, I need to stop doing that. But yeah. So. That's kind of random, but also hilarious. Like I, I'm, all of House of Usher. <laughs> it sounds so much like a like a jingle for like a late '80s, early '90s, like Family Matters type sitcom. <laughs> oh man, like, I love Family Matters. <laughs> yeah, like like just a, a feel good, you know, family uh, dramedy, you know. Coming on at seven on a Thursday night or some shit. <laughs> TGIF, man. <laughs> Um, no, it's, it is funny that you mentioned like, you know, you had like an earworm like that. Um, I did not, but I thought like, I knew I was in for a treat. Um, I mean, I already did, but when the series started, uh, very Mm -hmm. first episode and the very first thing that you hear is another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd. And I was like, holy fucking shit. How perfect is that to start this series out with that song? Yeah, that was that was excellent. I mean, I think that that was a, a great way to to open up the series. You're absolutely right, and it was it's iconic because obviously it comes into play later on, and we'll discuss that um, as part of the themes. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so diving into it, um, before we you know kind of tackle the series as a whole, uh, just uh, for a little bit of background um, on Edgar Allan Poe himself. Um, I wanted to know, uh, we actually haven't discussed this a ton, so th- uh, this will be genuine new news to me, um, what your exposure has been for Edgar Allan Poe. So I know that a lot of us, most of us probably, uh, especially, you know, millennials and uh, Gen Gen X, YZ, um, all have read Poe in either middle school and or high school, um, but... I know for a lot of us that that's kind of like, that's it. Like, you know, we're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then, you know, like many other required reading in school, you just stop. So I was curious, uh, what your exposure was, uh, in school, if any, um, and if you pursued, uh, any of Poe's works like outside of the classroom or in any other fashion in high school and college maybe. Um, so yeah. What say ye? What say you? What, what uh, say ye? Yeah. 
All right, Aragorn. But basically, I, I didn't really read any Edgar Allan Poe. Even, you know, I was, I was racking my brain about this. Even in middle school or high school for honors English, like English was my jam, man. I, I was very good at writing. I, I know words. I know all the words. And we read <laughs> a lot, too. Um, and we read a lot of Thoreau and uh, Yeats, I think. Yeats? Yeah. And um, a whole bunch of other poets and stuff. But we didn't read any Poe necessarily. I mean, the closest we got was Mary Shelley, just Frankenstein. Sure. And I think, but I mean, I, I've I've heard, you know, The Raven, the most popular story, arguably. Right. Yeah. Um, and just seen iterations of it, too. Like we were discussing the Simpsons Halloween episode before this. I know that in the second season or the first season, they do an episode on The Raven, and it's really good. But yeah. that's probably the most famous, and that's probably also why they saved the final episode to be titled the Raven because right. um, it all kind of ties together. But mm. yeah, I, I don't really, I didn't really have too much exposure. I know that Christian Bale played Edgar Allan Poe in the pale blue eye, which came out right. earlier this year. Um, I yeah. heard that movie was not very good though. So, I liked yeah. it a lot, but okay. you know, you know, my opinions they don't yeah. necessarily align with uh, the vast majority uh, a lot of the times, but I enjoyed yeah. it for what it's worth. Well, and I know my buddy Eric, who I do the top five podcast with, he's mm -hmm. he's v very well read and he let he loves Edgar Allan Poe. So he's excited yeah. for the fall he's the of House of Usher. And uh, um, yeah. Eric's the uh, the history buff, right? Yeah, yeah. And he he reads a lot as well. So yeah, he I'm... he was pumped about the pale blue eye. I, I don't I, I don't actually know his thoughts on that. So Gotcha. Um I would I would not be surprised if he read a bunch of these stories. But like I was hiking the other day and I explained that um, I was giving recommendations because when you, when you hike, you know, you just talk about random shit. And my mm. buddy Ty, he I was explaining the fall of the House of Usher and he's like, oh, is that, you know, Flanagan? And he did like uh, Midnight Mass and he did Haunted Hill House. And I was like, yeah, he goes, oh, like I read that short story, Fall of the House of Usher. So he must have read it in school. But he's mm. like, yeah, I really liked it. And he's like, I loved his other shows. So this one's going to be really good. And it was cool because I was like, oh. I actually didn't even know that that was a short story. So, <laughs> to put it kindly, no, I gotcha. don't really know much of Poe. I don't know uh, Poe. <laughs> now that's cool. Um, I it, it's funny. Anytime I wrote E.A. Poe in my notes, I was like E.A. Poe. It's in the game. It's in the game. <laughs> it's in the game. And then microtransaction. Micro <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. That was perfect. That, I mean, <laughs> that just cost you fifty cents to say. Oh boy. Um, but no, play, um, play to win, baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, now I, so I got your, uh, what I perceive to be the run of the mill exposure um, to Edgar Allan Poe in school. Uh, most of it was in middle school, I believe. I think it was the Raven and the Telltale Heart uh, is what Oh we, yeah. Telltale Heart I knew as well too. Yeah, I forgot about that one. No, that's kind of a given, I think, is most people, they, they might forget that mm -hmm. they have read it or like, I remember like distinct memories in eighth grade, eighth grade English, we actually listened to it. Um, and the, uh, the voice actor was very good. Um, yeah. You know, and you kind of have to be for the telltale, telltale heart, because it's about a dude that's like literally going insane um, over guilt, over killing his roommate um so uh yeah i i have distinct memories of listening to that and i was like this i can't believe we're listening to this in school like yeah. like i like this dude so i i think that was a lot of the reason why i was uh, why i gravitated toward poe is that it felt kind of against the rules to be 
<laughs> reading his stuff or listening to his stuff, um, especially in school. Um, but you know, we had a cool English teacher and, um, but, uh, yeah, so I'd say the majority was in middle school for me and then, uh, maybe a tiny bit in high school, but that might have just been on my own. And then right. in college, I ended up doing a, a term paper or essay and I think it might've been like my creative writing English class. Like you had to have three English credits and like the first one was, um, like regular, uh, like, like English 101 like uh you know just learning how to write papers and then the other one was like literature and then the there's like a third one where you had to choose between a handful of different english classes and it was like i chose creative writing and i think i ended up doing a essay on poe um and uh so i ended up learning a lot more about him because i actually got to do a deep dive on his life and learned about exactly how fucking tra tragic um yeah. his life was just watching <clears throat> all his family members and loved ones die like right after another, um, which obviously influenced um, a lot of his dark writing. Um, but uh, that's kind of the way the cookie crumbles with a lot of um, a lot of artists that write really beautiful Gothic um, horror and romance is um, they kind of tend to have tragic beginnings. So Yikes. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So um, let's jump into our general thoughts and feelings on Usher. Now, this part will be, we're going to try and keep spoiler free. So for those of you that are listening, um, all five of you, um, uh, we're, like I said, we're going to try and keep it spoiler free. So you can kind of make a decision up until now to um, either watch or don't watch based off of what we have to say about it. Um, and then after that, we're diving deep into spoilers. So be forewarned, but Zach, uh, take it away. What were your, uh, general thoughts and feelings on Usher? Follow the house of Usher. Yeah. So, I mean, I love Usher, the artist, you know, yeah. And let it burn <laughs> and all that. Yeah, but, yeah. um, the TV show, the mini series, the fall of the house of Usher, I mean, it's Flanagan doing what Flanagan does. I mean, he, he's, he's throwing with gas, man, a hundred miles per hour. Mm -hmm. He is arguably the best director in horror right now up there with Jordan Peele and Ari Aster. Um, and I mean, I would even say he's better than Ari right now, just because Bo's afraid did not seem like a movie that he should be doing. It seemed like a, a therapy session for Ari Aster. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Flanagan just really knows how to hone in on how to make things terrifying, how to accurately use jump scares, how mm -hmm. to blend the characters into the story to where they feel organic and they don't feel, I mean, they don't feel fake. They, and they don't feel like you're trying to push a woke agenda. So for example, yeah. and this isn't really a spoiler, but there are many characters who are trans or bi or fluid or gay or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, or black, white, you know, Asian, uh, Indian, whatever. And what he does is he just makes them as characters. He doesn't yeah. put a, he doesn't put a focus on what they do, like the fact that they're dating a trans woman or a trans man, or they're married to a, a gay man and they have sex with a straight woman on the side. So like, I think it's really good because in my opinion, and this isn't very, very fair for a cis straight white male to say, but I think they do a great job of not calling attention to it, to it and just treating it for what it is. Like these are just great actors. 
through and through. Mm-hmm. Flanagan is like, I need this actor because they're good. I don't give a shit about feeding some agenda or some quota about wokeness. They're just yep. a good actor. They fit this role and it works really well. And so yeah. I think that's a microcosm for what Flanagan has done with this show. Yeah, it's 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 him knowing how he can use things and especially the jump scares as well. There were some very, very effective jump scares in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for for anyone who listens to the Don't Be Crazy podcast or has just heard me, horror is my favorite genre. What I don't like in horror are movies that just rely on jump scares, um, Exorcist Believer. But uh, there are certain... <laughs> just kidding. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things... Um, in horror films that, you know, if a movie is just going to use jump scares, then it's it's pointless, but it, they should use it as a tool, not a crutch. And Flanagan definitely uses it as a tool in mm-hmm. a very effective way. Basically, every scene where Roderick is re- re- recanting on what he was, uh, what happened, he's discussing with with August about, you know, the past events and we get those random jump scares. Those yeah. are effective as shit and they really, mm-hmm. really work. So yeah. I loved it. Um, it's gothic. It's beautiful. There are some scenes that are just out of control, like done so well with the lighting and the staging. And and Flanagan is just excellent, man. I mean, this is this is a fantastic show um, amidst his other other fantastic shows. I mean, I would say Midnight Mass is still my favorite as mm-hmm. a story, um, but this is a pretty close second. Uh, I love the hell out of this one. Yeah, uh, I'll echo pretty much all that you said. Um, you know, Flanagan, he uh, he has, uh, I think it was in the director's commentary for Haunting of Hill House, he stated that he is generally not a fan of jump scares and won't do them unless they're absolutely warranted uh, in his eyes. And so you know that if there's a jump scare in a Flanagan work, it's not there just to elicit that initial like, oh, like, you know, kind of jumping at you without any reason for it. Um, like in um, in Midnight Club, um, there he broke the record for number of jump scares in like a single episode or single time frame or something like that. Um, and, and I think that was just a fun little thing to, you know, kind of try and break a record. Um, but yeah, um, Definitely agree with the jump scare thing. Uh, the character work, like you said, was awesome. Um, I, I think the best word to put it is like understated in terms of like the the sexuality aspect because I had that exact same thought too. Like they, it's like David Rose in um, yeah, Shit's in Creek. in Shit's Creek. It, he, he's just gay. They mm-hmm. don't make a big to do about it. They don't make him a tormented character because he's gay. Um, like they don't call extra attention to it, uh, be like, look, he's gay. He's gay. We put a gay character in here. Um, you know, and and like you said, there's, there's folks all across the, um, you know, the, the LGBTQ plus spectrum, you know, they're, you know, lesbian, queer, bi, everything. Um, and, and there's, you know, uh, different kinks involved as well. And it's just, it's just kind of there. And that's what I loved about it. One of the things that I loved about it was it's just like it it felt commonplace, like, uh, you know, like I said, just understated that that it was was just there and it was okay. And I was like, you know, like you said, this is coming from a straight white dude. So grain of salt, 
but I feel like this is kind of collectively what we're all going for here is just the, the ability to portray um, characters uh, with these, these types of um, you know, with this, this sexuality or that one um, and just have it understated to be, you know, no big, no big deal. Like it's part of the story, but it's also like not like a headline. So And that's how it should be. And I mean, on top of that as well, he casts a lot of the same people, the same actors, Mm -hmm. because if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. Um, But I which I like because none of them are none of the characters in this. The ushers are like the Kardashians, right? They don't look fake. They don't look. Oh, my God. So lustful. They just look like pretty, pretty much normal people with exorbitant amount of money. And (laughs) they are just assholes. So none of them, I, I really am like, oh my God, she's so hot. Or damn, that guy's a really handsome guy. Like they all just are normal fuck ups pretty much. Uh, right. So that was really cool because it's not like the CW, right? Where you're having everyone is drop dead gorgeous or whatever. <laughs> uh, it, it added to more of the realism, in my opinion. Right. Like you, uh, uh, Euphoria on HBO, where you're oh, like, yeah. these are all like Victoria's Secret supermodels, oh, not high schoolers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, like Zendaya is like a goddess and grounded in reality at the she's same so time. Cool too. Yeah, yeah, she's her. yeah, she's amazing. Um, everyone, else, I'm just like, like, how are you even a real person? Um, but yeah, anyways, besides the point. Um. So, yeah, I think that kind of covers it in terms of uh, just general thoughts and feelings. So, yeah, if you are listening to this episode and you have not seen Follow the House of Usher yet, uh, we are now officially diving into spoiler territory. So listen on if you don't care about spoilers or pause it and go watch all eight episodes and then come back and finish um, and then let us know what you think. Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, you know, I kind of talked about some of the acting performances already. So let's elaborate on some of that. Um, First point, um, who is the MVP and why is it Carla Gugino? (laughs) (laughs) She's really, I mean, she's incredible in this. I don't think she's the MVP though. I really, I (laughs) I really think she's, she's absolutely captivating. Not only is she just gorgeous, but she's so good in every role she, she takes on, especially Mm -hmm. um, haunting of Hill house. Yeah, you know, Gerald's game, too. I haven't seen it, but I I know enough about her. Um, I've seen her in other movies, too, like Sin City and and whatever. Watchmen, Son-in-Law. That was one of her earlier roles. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, She's great. Must have been. That movie's from, what, like the early 90s? 90s. Yeah, probably sure, buddy. (laughs) But I, I really enjoyed her, and I loved her personification of of death, demon, mother nature, whatever she may be, Verna. Uh, I loved that, that, um, that character and who she played. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think she was the best. I think, I think it's hard because they really, every actor in this was really knocking it out of the park. In my opinion, if, yes. if there was any weak performance, I'd probably have to say it would be Prospero and uh the wife of ponytail guy um of frederick frederick's wife who gets oh, yeah. acid rained um mm-hmm. and, and that's not her fault i think she did a good job it's just that she, she she was she was burned and she was in a body cast so she couldn't really do much you know 
Yeah, they didn't have the the duration that everyone else had. Right, um, Prospero per, uh, Perry. You know Perry. He uh, he had what two episodes basically to kind yeah. of lock in his performance, um, which was good. It, it um, was, and yeah, it's it's not it's it's like I said, it's not fair because his was cut so short. Um, he. He he was good for what he was, and and he was a prick, um, and and you liked it, like he he had something he needed to prove. So there was mm-hmm. there were some good moments in there for sure. Uh, yeah. I definitely I think Bruce Greenwood was probably the best part of this show. Uh, he just him and and August Dupont, the guy who played him, were yeah. d- their whole back and forth. I'm a talkie guy. I love films that have a lot of dialogue back and forth. If it's really, mm-hmm. really well written. Another and, thing that Flanagan and company writing company does oh, really well. Yeah. So it's, it was excellent. And I, and I loved their exchanges between that. I love Dupin uh, when he would say, this is the part where you want me to go sit down, turn on the recorder again and listen, you know, and he's like, but I, I'm not going to fall into your narrative, uh, Roderick. <laughs> and, and I was like, fuck yeah, baby. Like that was, right. that was really well done. And, and it just, it was good. But Bruce Greenwood was, I mean, he was lights out, man. He was he was awesome. And then same thing yeah. with the the young Madeline Usher, not mm-hmm. the not the older one. She was she was good, but I think the younger Madeline Usher, uh, that gal was was fantastic. Yeah, and she she really seemed cold and calculated. And, and she's she, scary. She like, was scary. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, j- just the way she talked and like her view. Um, I, I think like one of the. T- she has uh, tons of amazing moments, but um, one of my favorite is I think it's the very last scene of her and the wife. They're just together and it's right after um, young um, Roderick uh, goes against um, August uh, in the, the, you know, the hearing room or whatever the deposition mm-hmm. and um, you know, and then he gets thrown in jail for, whatever that was uh not treason but uh you know whatever they yeah but he was out soon anyways um you know and and then it's just the you know this uh madeline yeah thank you um so it was madeline and um annabelle Annabelle lee Lee. in the kitchen and you know she starts crying and she's like oh my god like i thought you were just playing the simple housewife you know saying like if i just you know, hang out here, raise his kids and, you know, give him a BJ twice a week. I'll get (laughs) whatever I want. Um, but this is truly genuinely you like you, like you are a good, good person. And like, I I thought that was a crazy moment of like true honesty where like, like she finally realizes and like the fact that that doesn't do anything for her. Like it doesn't do anything to like sway Madeline at all. Like she's still like, no, like I'm, I'm a still cutthroat bitch. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do whatever I need to do in order to survive. Um, just like we did, you know, four hours ago. Yeah. Um, Willa Fitzgerald is young Madeline. That's that's her name. Yeah. I, I recognize her from uh, Jack Reacher on Amazon. Prime. Oh, okay, yeah, I haven't watched that. Uh, I didn't really. I didn't recognize her or older Madeline um, from anything. Uh, uh, older they Madeline, both had. Yeah, older older Madeline was in a lot of stuff. Um, her name is Mary McDonald. Uh, she was in Independence Day. Actually, she played the first lady, and she gets okay. ki- she gets killed. Uh, you know, like. 
Oh yeah, the, yeah, the airplane okay. or whatever. She was also in Donnie Darko. She played Rose Darko. Um, and I then gotcha. She was okay. in Dan- Dances with Wolves, and then also Battle- Battlestar Galactica. So she's been in like quite a bit. And you, okay, yeah. She she was also in Scream Four. She was um Jill's mom, and she gets stabbed through the door. You know. Oh yeah. Okay. So the the issue is just like I haven't seen her in anything in like. 10 15 years so like she and so i don't know if she has gray hair or if they added it in for the the show she's uh, she's older i think i think it's real gray hair right um i mean either way you know i i think that had something to do with me not recognizing her but now that you've mentioned <laughs> those few appearances yeah. um I, I mean independence day we've talked about it on both my podcast and yours how, mm-hmm. you know i'm uh an apologist for id4 um but yeah that's that's cool but yeah her you know her performance was uh was great um i mean my personal mvp is is definitely um carla gugino's character um you know the red death or uh consequence or like you said you know she kind of goes by a couple different names but um oh, she's she was really good, especially when she wears that skull mask in oh, yeah. um, the, the second episode. Yeah. And it's just so it was beautifully shot. It was it was so well blocked and her on the bed, just arms spread out like that. I'm like, God damn, this is so good. It's it's not only is she super sexy, but she is just so commanding. And you mm-hmm. can see why Prospero would be so intoxicated with her. And yeah. I just love her line delivery and everything. And she can be so genuine and tender too. Like when she tells Lenore, you know, about her mother and you know, at that moment that Lenore is going to die. And I just was so upset because I didn't think Lenore deserved to die, but that's the whole point nope. of it. Like exactly. Roderick, Roderick made the deal and every yep. one of his offspring and their offspring would die. And yeah. it's, you know, it was really a bummer because, because Verna, whatever she may be, still had remorse for it and was like, mm-hmm. you know, this is the part that I, I don't want to do, but I want to <clears> tell you that your mom saves millions of lives with this. Right. And it was all because you did the right thing. Um, and even, even when she, when she speaks to Arthur Pym, um, you know, like you, you don't, you don't have anything in life. Like I can give you this deal. And he's like, no, I'm going to play the hand that's dealt with me because collateral is leverage. And she yep. gives that she's, you know, very respectful and is like, thank you. And gives that warming embrace to him. And he just, he just kind of melts. Um, I thought it was yeah. really, it was really well done. So yeah. yeah, she, she was great, man. She, she really was, you're valid in your choice of saying she was the MVP. Yeah, but I I could also I could definitely see someone's choice uh, of Bruce Greenwood being the MVP. I mean, they I think the the two of them uh, have the most screen time. I mean, obviously, you you know, the rapper for the entire series is um, um, is Roderick and um, uh, August Augie, um, you know, talking. So, you know, that's kind of like that encompasses the uh, um, all eight episodes. So yeah, between, um, between all that, they, the two of them, they get the, the bulk majority of the screen time. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I totally forgot about the positioning of her arms and, uh, when, uh, when Perry walks in, uh, on her, when, when he follows her to the bedroom and she's, you know, she's kind of got her arms play back in like a relaxed position. I was like, Oh yeah, that's probably a callback to Gerald's game because of that's uh, how being I, handcuffed right. to the, the bed. Yeah. That's how I felt too. Yeah. Um, 
we uh yeah we'll we'll get to this uh here in a little bit but uh one of my favorite parts uh uh or favorite favorite scenes of hers um was um the death of um of frederick or froderick um, God, yeah that was <laughs> that was gnarls barkley man that yeah was it was crazy. um yeah but like i said we'll we'll get to it um and, and we'll we'll talk more about the acting performances uh here in just a minute because we're going to go through the deaths uh we're not going to spend a ton of time on them but i do want to talk about each one because they all deserve to be talked about because they're all fucking gnarly um but um so I, I guess uh, this next question, part of it uh, has already been answered, but I still want to ask it uh, for the sake of asking and, and seeing what you have to say. So, I mean, for me, at least a little bit, um, watching Fall of the House of Usher kind of sort of felt like watching Titanic, where like, sure, the relationship between Jack and Rose is beautiful and that's new, um, obviously fabricated for the sake of the movie. But at the end of the day, you still know that fucking ship is hitting an iceberg and sinking. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so it's nothing, it, it's not new news is what I'm saying. Um, and the same kind of goes with the, the series is that if you are relatively or are well-versed in Poe's works. You know what happens in each one, how each each character either meets their demise or incites, you know, riots or incites someone else's demise. Um, Then you kind of can understand like where things are going, especially if you pay attention to the episode titles, because for the most part, each episode title um, is named after one of his poems or short stories. And, uh, kind of um telegraphs uh you know how that character will die so you know question to you is did this um did this affect your viewing experience at all i I know obviously we talked earlier like i have a little bit more exposure to poe um but you know you knowing the raven raven and telltale heart and maybe a couple others like did did you were you able to guess any outcomes because of that? Uh, was anything taken away from the series because you knew what was coming? Um, did, did that detract from the overall quality and your enjoyment? No, you, you know, I, again, because I didn't really know any of Poe's work. I mean, even the Raven, I couldn't have guessed how that would have end. They, mm-hmm. he did a really good job of, of adapting it and, and twisting it a bit. Um, yeah. not necessarily, taking a verbatim he's just taking ideas and kind of expanding on it and it's there have been several times in in film and i think a bad example is like pearl harbor but you know in pearl harbor a lot of people are gonna die and then they throw in a love story and so that's what i'm thinking with like titanic um there are, are several times that that can happen in a film or in a tv show and you know it, it just happens I, i'm i'm fine with it um as long as you can be I guess, creative with what you're doing. So mm-hmm. my, my best example I can think for this is the show Better Call Saul. I would sit and I'll die on this hill. I would I would argue that Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. And I the will reason, also argue that. Good. We're going <laughs> to die on that hill together. Yeah. The the reason why is we Breaking Bad is a phenomenal show, right? But 
how do you then have a spinoff of a phenomenal show? You can either fail miserably or hit much success. And it is so hard to do the latter because sequels and, and, and spinoffs and stuff usually don't hit very well, especially when you have a character who you're, you're portraying his early life and, and everyone knows how it's going to play out in Better Call Saul. You know that, you know, Heisenberg's going to come in at a certain point, you know, when they introduce a certain character, you're like, well, they're going to die. Or at the end of it, you know that Saul is going to get caught. So with this inevitable doom at the end, how do you make the show um, entertaining? And oh boy, did they figure out a way to do it in six seasons. <laughs> yeah, My goodness, did. that tension in, in that final season for certain episodes was out of control. And they just did such a good job overall with their character development, RIP Nacho, but like all these things, man, it was so well done. And, and I think that Flanagan is very much in the same mindset as he, he understands his characters. He doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to take concept. He's understanding the characters and then he builds a concept after that. It's not just concept. So Mm -hmm. like, and that's how you get good work when you have fantastic actors and fantastic writers and and um, producers and everything. That is how you can make something last. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> no, that, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I, I like the one you made with uh, uh, with B- Better BCS. Call Saul. Yeah, and Breaking Bad. I also like Better Call Saul is just a lot more fun to watch. So it, in that regard, it has a lot more rewatchability to it. Like. I like it takes me five times as long to rewatch Breaking Bad as it does for me to rewatch Better Call Saul because I have to take so many friggin breaks in between like because each like you know the there's a couple episodes in there that you know are lackadaisical and not that big of a deal but there's some fucking heavy hitters in there so um (laughs) but uh yeah so I mean to to kind of answer my own question here like I um you know nothing was really ruined for me uh like i i don't want to sound like a know-it-all like i i w- the only short uh story that i wasn't familiar with was goldbug um and i i actually just heard a random reference to this short story today uh, that was completely unrelated to the fall of the house, uh, house of usher, the, the series. Um, like I just heard a reference to it somewhere. I was like, that's really weird. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that, that was the only one I wasn't familiar with. So yeah, when I was watching them, I was like, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Flanagan took a lot of liberties with it. And this is kind of a talking point we'll hit, um, here in just a little bit, but, um, yeah, like there was enough liberties taken where, it did kind of keep you guessing as to what exactly would happen. Um, and so like, you know, the, the way that character uh, met their demise and how it happened, who caused it was up in the air, but the idea, uh, the, the concept, like going into it, I was like, Oh, this is kind of, kind of a treat. Like, you know um, like it, it, I was like, Oh, this must, be what uh comic book nerds feel watching marvel movies uh or dc movies and you know they have the the infamous like winks or nods from the comic books in there that no one else gets uh, like the casual moviegoers that don't read comic books like like everyone's like 
oh, what does that mean? Like me. I'm like, oh, my big dumb dumb brain. I don't understand what's going on. And then like, you know, the comic book nerd has to like lean in and fucking inform my dumb ass as to what's going on. Um, and I'm like, oh, thank you, intelligent person. Um, Deep cuts only. No hits. <laughs> right. <laughs> I said no hits. I said no hits. That might be a record for first office reference. Um, I held back a little bit, too. I've seen, yeah. I own over 200 horror films. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want to mess with me. Do you like being in a room with me right now? No, this is terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I don't like being with me either, Andy. Shut um, up about the sun. Shut up shut about, up the, about sun. the sun. <laughs> shut up about the sun. The metalcore remix. Oh yeah. Shut up about the sun. Anyways, so um, moving on. So you know, we um, kind of talked about that and a little bit about the character works. So we're going to talk about the deaths. Whoa. Um, yeah. So getting grisly with it. So, um, like I, I just mentioned all the, uh, Usher's deaths for the most part were modeled after, um, the episode title in, uh, which they fell under for the most part. There's uh, a, a couple exceptions, but, um, starting with Prospero Perry Usher, um, who is played by, um, let's see. I think it's Sarayan. S- Sar- Sarayan Sapkata, Sapkata. Many apologies if uh, if we butchered that in any form or fashion, but we did our best. Um, But yes, so episode two, the Mask of the Red Death, um, gets the uh, the the acid rain ish. It's it's basically you know vats of acid from the roof of the uh, the old warehouse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where he thinks it's, um, you know, an untapped water supply that, you know, is just stored up there. Um, so they didn't have to tap into the, the city line, um, and use city resources. They had their own. Um, and that was kind of the idea. And I, I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, at one point in time it did hold water, but then they drained it and decided to store acid up there because of the, you know, illegally having it. Right. Like the, it, it was medical waste and it had a right. whole bunch of other stuff in, in it, which essentially was acid. But yeah, they needed to, you know, Frederick was supposed to demolish that building a long time ago. Um, and Perry found it amidst that meeting with the environmental lawyers and, and, and they stored that stuff up there like as a as a ruse. They were going to get rid of it later sort of thing. And they never really did. Um, and yeah, that was yeah. his his uh excess i guess yeah um and so in, in this regard like they really came out swinging like with the first death um cuz you know we knew going in that you know one by one all of these kids in this family and eventually the parents were just one by one got to eat it and so that we we bought the ticket got on the ride um and you know starting with perry like he gets, like we discussed, he gets the least amount of screen time. So his death, like they, they have to get you to be involved in his life and they need you to get invested enough to where you care a little bit uh, mm-hmm. about him, but also like, like the death has to like kind of mean something at the same time. Um, and yeah, I, I loved this one. Um, it wasn't my favorite, but yeah, like 
it, I mean, it was telegraphed from a mile away, but I, I still loved it. I, I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, and, um, Carla Gugino's character is just like walking around whispering to all the security and everyone to like, you know, to, to leave the building. Um, so that there's security footage of people like leaving. So it, it, it enhances the idea that there is a, a mole and, you know, in the Usher family. She even tells Perry that every, everything has consequences and he can stop it now. Right. So she, she, which is odd because every other Usher has to die and she says he could stop it now. But I think that that was more of a, stop this now and then I'm going to get you later sort of thing because I don't need to kill all these other people, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. If, if she was saying that for any reason, yeah. Um, I think you're right about that. I think that would be the reason why is that he would, um, he could sacrifice himself instead of like killing himself and all these people, um, with the only remaining survivor being, um, uh, the the mom yeah uh, that poor poor mom god i, I felt so bad for her um but yeah the so the uh i, I can't remember if it's the next episode uh I, yeah it, it is the next episode when they're in like the boardroom and i think it's mostly just the kids and maybe madeline and yeah like camille uh is presenting her idea for how she would spin it because she's the the family's publicist right isn't that her title yeah she's pr head of pr right yeah and so she kind of goes into like this three minute like diatribe about how exactly she would spin this um you know and setting up like nonprofits and how those would be like um you know divvied out to other people and that you know oh his legacy is going to carry on through these nonprofits and stuff and um (laughs) like the look on um, oh man, what's her name? Uh, the the new wife that everyone calls the drug addict that with the Irish accent. Um, oh, Cleo. Uh, yes. Um, she's just like, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? Like, yeah. who are these people? Um, yeah, like she was the like one of the uh, her and Lenore were like the only sane people um, in, in the series, but. Um, but yeah, so, uh, speaking of Camille, she is the next one to eat it, um, played by, uh, Kate Siegel, who is actually married to Mike Flanagan, a little bit of movie trivia. Um, and she gets it in murder in the room Morgue, which is, uh, episode three, I believe, um, gets attacked by a chimp, um, which I've heard is not a great way to go because chimps are very strong and, uh, can beat the ever living piss out of you <laughs> together ape strong <laughs> exactly yeah so uh what, what did you think of this one uh, a little housekeeping i apologize it was not cleo it's juno as the oh as the yeah young wife um i liked it a lot so you know verna i think one important thing in each of these deaths right is verna in some way or another um shows up and appears and is influential to each of these characters and affects them in a certain way, basically gives them a choice. And it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion because she knows that these people are idiots and assholes and they're going to go a certain route. Um, So as a security guard, when she tells Camille, you know, 
you can't go in or you shouldn't go in there sort of thing. She's not saying don't go in there. She's saying you shouldn't go in there. Like you shouldn't have to go in there. Basically, you can still achieve what you need to achieve by not going in there. Like she's giving her a kind of a choice. But Camille is so vile and (laughs) and she she wants to expose Victorine uh, because she believes she believes that she's the informant, right? She's so mm-hmm. set in her ways. And um, this is like what she needs to do. And all of these kids, again, are so terrible because they're all trying to figure out who the informant is that Augie um, identified during the trial. But her death was gnarly as hell. And I do love how right as the as the chimp is in front of her, she's just like, fuck it or whatever, you know, and she takes a picture. She says, I got mine and takes the right. picture and then just gets completely, you know, she, cause she's come to terms with it. And that's, I think her whole attitude in general, like with her two associates who she has sex with and, you know, they want to run off and have a relationship and she's all upset with them. Like there's, <laughs> and fucking Venmo's them, their severance. She's just so disconnected to anything. Yeah. Um, just a terrible, terrible person, but it was a cool death. I, I, I liked it quite a bit. I felt bad for the chimp because you know that they probably had to kill the chimp after that. And those poor animals in that in those cages really upset me. Yeah. um, Animal death is uh, never a comfortable thing to have to sit through in a a film or show, um, regardless of whether they are, um, you know, actual trained animals. Um, I mean, of course, no animals are actually dying or being hurt. Um, There's a lot of rules and regulations in Hollywood right now. Yeah, Um, it was all CGI, too. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, this was Kate Siegel playing very off type. Like, I don't think I've seen anything with her in it that has her playing this like cutthroat type of person. Right. Um, And and that's exactly who she was. It's just, you know, like she will, you know do whatever it takes in order to, you know, she's like you said, hell bent on trying to find the mole. Um, She's got it cemented in her head that it is Vic uh, and she's willing to, to do that. And like, I love um, a lot of the times, you know, when the character is like in route to their demise, um, uh, what's, what's her uh, uh, character's name again? Camille. Um, uh, no, uh, Juno, um, which, which character? Carla, Carla Cugino, um, oh, Verna, Verna. Yeah. I love how to me it, it really feels like she shows up as like their conscience, like, like it, it's their conscience for once, like speaking up and saying, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, like maybe if you don't do this, like it would be the better thing. Like you could be the better person and Like, you know, you could be in for a world of hurt if you proceed in this direction and then they just ignore it like they always have. Um, So that's kind of how I I, uh, started to think of her as uh, I I watched and rewatched a couple of the episodes. But um, yeah, that's just kind of an aside. Fun fact, during the, the second episode, during the sex party, their uh, Perry's girlfriend, partner, whoever she may be, she's wearing the mask from Hush. I don't know if you noticed that or not. She is wearing the white mask from Hush with the droopy eyes. You'll have to go back and watch it. I promise it's there because I was like, oh, sweet, which it, had Katie in it. So. 
it must be it must have been decorated like redecorated no uh, like, I'll, I'll, did, I'll find i'll find it and i'll send it to you but yeah it's it was it was a cool easter egg and i'm like oh sweet you, you're talking about verna right no, um, no, no, no. Verna's mask was different. So Perry oh. had had two two partners, right? Um, the the dark haired person and then the red haired person. And uh, the red haired person, when they were walking with their mask to Perry, um, they it's on their head and it's the it's the husk. Oh, the okay. Mask. I gotcha. Yeah, th- that was when it started getting like a lot more tense. And so it, it like I'm I'm kind of surprised that it went like right over my head. I feel like that's something that I I would have picked up on, but yeah, um, yeah. I, Hush is one of the few Flanagan pieces that I haven't seen more than once, just because it's so fucking tense, like so stressful. Um, but yeah. So next character from uh, I guess episode uh, four was Napoleon Leo Usher, uh, played by uh, Raoul Colley. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, episode titled the black cat. Um, Raul Cawley was, um, he's another, uh, Flanagan mainstay. He was in midnight mass. He played the sheriff, I believe. Yeah. Um, which is a wild transition from, from that to this. Cause the characters could not be any more different. Like he's probably the more, most responsible person on the Island in midnight mass. And in this, he's a wild dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so um, he's basically driven to madness um, under all the the crazy designer drugs that he's under. From like, I mean, he just the because he's a druggie. Um, you know, he takes them, and due to um, two of his siblings passing away, like back to back. You know, that that kind of incites a little bit more drug use. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he wakes up one morning and realizes that he's covered in blood and uh, follows the trail to discover that he has, quote unquote, killed uh, his boyfriend's cat. And I did not know that this was uh, his imagination. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did. Did you know this right off the bat that like it was, it was like he didn't actually kill his cat. Like I thought he did. So I, I actually think he did. What, what, what where did it uh, indicate that the cat was still there? Because wasn't the cat missing? And like I just thought he did it, and it was like he was so high, like with all the different drugs he did, he couldn't remember the night before. And so that's what would explain why he killed it. So that was setting up for his death because, you know, they thought he was so out of his mind with all these drugs. Like his boyfriend even says that, like you need to slow down that that's why he died was because he had so much shit in his system. So I thought it was a setup for us to be like, yeah, he killed it, but because he tried to remedy it himself, like he's just going to keep spiraling after that. So I, I mean I don't know I I thought it, I thought he really did unless yeah, you think so, otherwise. N- so uh, Flanagan said that it didn't actually happen. Um, he uh, someone tweeted at him on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it that um, I, I forget the question exactly, but there uh, he said if you look closely um, at uh, or if you listen closely to the references of the caller and then you look closely when it's presented and when it's not presented. Um, the ending, the last time you see the cat, uh, 
should align with uh, the fact that there was absolutely no animal violence in mm. the show, that it was all thought up. Um, yeah, I guess that that makes sense because like the bathtub had none of the dead animals in it too. Right. Yeah. I mean, that I thought was, you know, obviously make believe. I mean, and, and the stray cat that he got, I figured that that was make believe because his boyfriend never, never saw him. Um, even when he jumped out, he's like, get the cat. And he's like, what? He didn't even see anything. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, yeah. That's yeah, odd. yeah. I, I mean, I, I was very convinced that he, he killed the cat. Like I, I, there was no reasoning in my mind that he he didn't. And then I was like, oh, like, I bet there's going to be like something imaginary, imaginary or hallucinatory about this other cat. And then that definitely ended up being the case, too. Um, but uh, I, I felt like, you know, like the cat definitely uh, like the real cat, um, you know, he got it. But um, yeah, it, it, it turns out. Not so much. And I guess that that makes sense because I feel like it, it seemed like uh, his boyfriend spent the entire night with him, I guess, to you know, since he was like the, the sober person there or the mo- more sober person. He was there to make sure that no one like hurt themselves or someone else or got into any trouble or decided to go get in a car and drive off. Um, so it kind of makes sense that him being the most lucid that you think he would hear some like animal, you know, like cat noises and stabbing if that was actually what was, what had happened. So yeah, that, you know, that tracks, but, um, regardless it it was a, it was crazy cause you know, like his boyfriend shows up later on that night and he has just torn up that whole apartment apartment with Mjolnir. Um, with the Thor's uh, Thor's trusty hammer, um, mm. he's like, "It's okay, I'll get Chris Hemsworth to send me another one." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, that, that was pretty crazy. Um, that was a, that was a gnarly scene, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next one is um, Victorine or, or Vic, uh, as they called her, um, Lefer Lefer Sod. Yeah. Um, and uh, her the actor's name is Tania Miller, um, Telltale Heart. She was also in um, Haunting a Bly Manor. And I can't remember if she had any, uh, had a Midnight Mass appearance. Um, she might have. Anything not sure. else. But I know for certain that she was in Haunting a Bly Manor. She was like the, um, uh, she uh, she was under the uh, the Telltale Heart episode. Uh, and I thought this was pretty great because, um, you know, she thinks she has a, uh, an actual, you know, case, uh, a, a person that's willing to, you know, to sign up. And I, I just like how it played out, how, um, Roderick, he shows up towards the end and finally she is not the only one to hear the ticking of, uh, or the pumping uh, mm. sounds of the artificial, you know, heart mesh that, that she created or that her, you know, girlfriend, wife, partner created. Um, and, uh, it's because it's like actually real, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, real this time, like, like she had been hallucinating it and then, you know, but, uh, the differences this time, um, 
I don't, what did you think of the reveal uh, that she actually did kill her partner? Like, cause it, it flashes right when she throws that, like, you know, rock or award or whatever paperweight thing that was on the end table. Um, and it kind of just cuts to black. Um, like in my mind, I was like, Oh man, I bet, I bet we're coming back to this later. Like, did you think the same thing? Oh, I knew exactly. I, I, I knew she was dead. I was like, yeah, you don't just throw that and not show what's going to happen. So yeah. I knew that she killed her and what strengthened it was when it immediately shows her calling and leaving a voicemail. I'm like, she's dead. She's doing this because she's either delusional or she's trying to hide it from the cops to be like, look, I was, I didn't know she was dead. I've been calling her. Right. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to play out the way it did where she Uh turns full on psychotic and, you know, she's brings her dad in there and kind of explains it. And she just just off the rails. Yeah. Um, One thing that's fascinating about that one is Vic for all intents and purposes meant to do good. Like she was trying to develop this heart uh, device for not only her father, but also to, to do good. Right. Right. But then it's also veiled because it wasn't just that that wasn't really the, the motive. It was money. It was to be the first to do something to get some yeah. fame and fortune. Um, and then also, you know, this whole company, Fortuna, they're creating stuff that could potentially harm people with like ligadone and whatnot. And this is another thing that w- obviously is not ready to try out. And she's unethically breaking rules and forging her wife's signature and so on and so yeah. forth. So it was, it was, it was a really interesting death scene. Um, not as gory her death, but the fact that you get to see her wife just completely dism- <laughs> like opened up was fucking yeah. gnarly. I was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they did it so wonderfully with the telltale heart, like the, the, the annoying beat that you can only hear. And it's, that's your, your conscious, your guilty conscience, you know, mm-hmm. Jiminy Cricket's like, get over here, fucker. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, obviously this is, uh, the, the death is, uh, kind of far removed from the, the source material. Um, cause you know, she, uh, well, I mean, he in the the actual telltale heart he did kill uh, the the dude that he lived with because he was actually irritated um he irritated the shit out of him so he's like you know what fuck you i'm gonna kill your ass in in your sleep um uh i think it was his eye um (laughs) and uh but yeah um so there was a little bit of um you know, crossover, uh, in, in that Venn diagram. But yeah, uh, you're right. That scene was gnarly when Roderick wa- uh, walks in and he's like, Oh my, like, what the fuck have you done? <laughs> like, like, and, and I think in that moment, like the weight of what he's done to everyone especially his children like finally starts to set in like the pressure that he put on his kids like their entire lives to like perform and like live up to the usher family name and to be just cutthroat all the time and uh just like also the the whole like the putting a bounty on the mole um the head of the mole to to find like that ended up kind of being everyone's demise uh you know more or less pretty much and yeah and this was i feel like this was his um his first like up close and personal reckoning with uh with that idea so 
yeah, that was that was a good one. Uh, again, not my favorite, but um, still pretty uh, pretty gnarly. Um, next, we have uh, Goldbug, which was um, Tamerlane Usher, uh, portrayed by Samantha Sloyan, um, another uh, Flanagan mainstay. She's been in uh, Hush and Midnight Mass and couple other things i believe but uh yeah um she's awesome i i do feel like uh so my one small criticism i guess of just the character work and the show is like i don't feel like we got enough of her i don't know how you feel about her character but i felt like we didn't really get a ton of her character like we could have gotten more um especially like leading up to her character like we had a lot of time leading up to this moment so i feel like really the only thing we got was the discourse between her and her husband um uh which which was good but i don't know what do you think? i was i was okay with with her development i mean you leave a little bit of the of the uncertain in there like how she, she has to she gets off by watching her husband, you know, have dinner and then bang a prostitute. Um, that's just her, her way of life. She's controlling. She's, she's pragmatic, but not in a good way. And like when that video comes out and she's like, okay, now eat her asshole while she's reading a book. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, lady. Um, <laughs> and, and how awful she was to her husband is like, you know, you were screened, right? Like I met you at VidCon. It was either the Yogi, whatever, or, or you, like you can be replaced. Just awful stuff. And that's all yeah. I really needed to know about her. Um, especially with how she was with Juno, just how awful she was with her, how she mm-hmm. had really no remorse for any of her siblings dying. I mean, I was good with the amount of time that I had for her. And I think she she knocked it out of the park for her role. Yeah, Very yeah. much that that I sell wellness products, but when you pull the the veiled curtain, really she has not a healthy lifestyle and she has a horrible home life. Um, yeah. And I think it's so funny that she mentioned goop because I think of like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and I'm like, that shit oh, is yeah. snake oil, man. Selling snake oil to people who will buy it because people are crazy enough to be like, oh, these essential oils really relax you and make you feel younger. And I'm like, bullshit. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no, those are very good points. Um, you know, and I guess pulling back a little bit, you know, I, I thought her character overall was great. Um, I just... Um, I don't know. In my head, like I felt like she wasn't as well developed for a character that we kind of waited uh, a little bit longer to to get her demise. But yeah, she um, yeah she was like uh, like this was like the psychological level, like uh, just the the mind games and the like how fucking cold she was to like her partner. Like that was very sad to me. Um, like, yeah, like her husband is like, like he was fucking goofy as hell, but like, you could tell he was like a genuine guy. Like he, you know, he loved her and like he, he admitted in the end, like he hated doing that role play stuff, Mm -hmm. but he did it for her because it was something that she enjoyed. Um, you know, and he was willing to, to do for her. Uh, and yeah, like her breakdown that you mentioned, like at, at the end, um, like right before he kind of walks out, it, it's like, you were, a, you were a choice. Like you were like a 50, 50, you know, coin flip between you and this other guy at this, you know, health convention or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, that was, um, and so we were talking about, 
her death. Um, I, I think she was the maybe the uh, one of the very few that we talked about outside of recording right now, um, just because uh, glass um, and, and like you know mirror shattering um, is uh, like related to that death um, or. Uh, yeah. Anyways, sorry. Um, my brain was like going into like 15 different places. Um, just how fucking painful it is to, to watch. And like, you feel it like when people step in glass, like, like that, that's kind of like phantom pain where (laughs) you kind of like, you can feel that because, you know, you don't know what it feels like to jump off a 15 story building, uh, you know, trying to dive after an imaginary cat and then you hit the pavement. Um, not too many people live to tell that tale. Um, and she, and, uh, she dies, you know, a mirror is, is a reflection, right? And she's, she dies right. by the reflection of herself by vanity. And I think that that's obviously that's what she is. She, she portrays this one thing, but really it's, it's not that way on the outside. And so this really exposes her for who she is. So yeah. there's a very symbolic mirror death. So. Yeah. So, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's pick this up. Cause I ended up spending too much, a little too much time on this than I wanted to. So, um, uh, so Rufus Griswold, uh, played by Michael Trucco, I think, um, uh, he died in the last episode of the Raven, um, but died via the cask of Amontillado where the dude is bricked in. Um, he is offered Sherry, gets a little too drunk and then the dude's like, oh man, like listening to his story and then, you know, like brick by brick, like, you know, hey, like, wait a second, like you're bricking me in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, and that's kind of what happens except uh, he, you know, like they do intentionally get him drunk, but well, didn't they say that they, they, uh, they drugged they put, it or yeah, they, they put cyanide uh, in it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is the is that running cyanide um throughout is that the the stuff that they referred to once or twice that tribes would blow in people's faces and knock them out is that no well so so i wrote this down while we were while you were talking um so i think it's interesting you know this is about a drug company essentially which could be a parallel to the purdue family who was famous for oxycontin um where obviously you know that was completely abused by this these drug companies and they didn't think that they were culpable like hey sorry that you guys got addicted to this and people died that's not our fault and i'm like what Mm -hmm. the fuck are you talking about (laughs) so anyways each character dies by a substance or the result of a substance. So Perry is all about drugs and he's he's dying there from medical waste from from the company. Uh, Camille, she gets killed by the chimpanzees who have been affected by the heart experiment and also the nightshade. That's what the paralytic mm-hmm. that they were using. They were using nightshade in the body and adrenaline. Um, Leo gets killed by basically a version of Molly that's called Monty. Uh, oh yeah, it's, that's it's, right. It's made with ligadone, and it's essentially the drug that built that empire. It makes him go crazy and kills himself. Yeah. Vic gets uh, that artificial heart. The her obsession with the artificial heart, which mm-hmm. also could be in, uh, related to some of the nightshade as well. Tammy um, Goldbug, essentially, all of those health items are a product that is going to be sold under the pharmaceutical brand, and mm-hmm. they essentially kill her too. They make her go crazy. Yeah. And then Frederick 
he snorts cocaine with some nightshade in it. But cocaine, like once he becomes a cokehead, that's when he starts getting all crazy on his wife. And then the final deaths of of Madeline and Roderick are are based off of arsenic. You know, Madeline, after her amazing monologue, um, she drinks the, the cognac that I knew as soon as he didn't drink it, I was like, Oh, she's dead. Cause I, I knew he poisoned her just as a callback to Rufus, basically of yeah. them giving him some of that, uh, that Sherry and, and it knocked him out. Well, shit. Why the fuck did I just not let you talk about all these deaths? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I was just thinking running for, this podcast. I was just thinking for, for the interest of time, but also I, I was thinking of that as you were, as you were talking, I'm like, Oh yeah, there's that theme. I mean, I, I just finished it today as the time of this recording. So I didn't have that much time to let it marinate until like, you know, I'm picking things up here and there. So, yeah. right. Um, so I, I, I will say, um, you know, since we touched on, um, Rufus Griswold, um, just a second ago, I will say like the freakiest part. Um, I, I mean, I know that his, his character and his costume, when it finally is revealed that he is like the jester, um, is, uh, you know, like he's involved in a lot of the jump scares, but, um, he's also like some of the, like the visually most freaky stuff. Um, and, first one is like uh at the end of the first episode where he uh where roderick comes out of the um out of the church and he's about to get in his uh get in the back of his town car and there's the jester and you're just like oh my god yeah Um, that was that was very effective yeah and then when he gets up from like uh, he gets resurrected uh, (laughs) she's like no you're not dying on my watch like (laughs) this is not the way you're gonna go um and like he turns and like he's like ah yeah <laughs> um you see the you see Mr. Jester there um absolutely nuts um very freaky but yeah um you know and then Madeline she she gets entombed uh she gets you know her eyes carved out and and whatnot uh and comes back uh just like Madeline Usher does in the actual story the fall of the house of Usher where um He's like, I'm coming to haunt you, bitch. And uh, the the both literal and metaphorical uh, destruction of the House of Usher comes crumbling down. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically all the deaths. Um, just a couple quick, uh, quick other talking points. We can kind of, you know, bang quickly through these. Uh, what do you think about this format for pose work and like subsequently for like other older works like HP Lovecraft and um, you know, like older material that is like, you know, if you wanted to do it accurately, they'd have to be period pieces. Um, but you know, with this, like uh, follow the house of Usher and color out of space. Um, the thing I, I think uh, because that was modeled after what was it? The thing from outer space or something like yeah. that. Um, you know, those are all like, um, they, they take a lot of liberties, but they have quite a few of the themes from the, the original source material, um, to enough to stay kind of true to the original idea of the, the source. Um, so what do you think about this idea of, of updating it? Um, and yeah, just everything that I just said. 
Uh, I like it a lot. I think of like things like Lovecraft Country. Uh, I know that you mentioned the color mm-hmm. out of space, but Lovecraft Country takes elements of the stories that H. B. Lovecraft has and just really yeah. expands on them. And I like that a lot. Uh, and then you also look at things like Westworld too, where that was a movie basically, and they just completely expanded to to draw from it. So when right. you can take inspiration and build off of it, that's what's really cool. Um, it doesn't have to be verbatim. I mean, Game of Thrones is a good example too, where people are like, oh, yeah. this is how the book goes. And then it's like, well, but then it goes completely off the rails, which is good and bad. So I, you don't have to be direct adaptations, but you can just have fun with the genre and still make it effective. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think the same, like, uh, there was one or two HP Lovecraft, um, inspired, uh, short stories in that, um, that series that came out last year, uh, the Guillermo del Toro hosted oh, one, the yeah. Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah, uh, you're that ha- yeah, that had a, a at least one or two um, that were inspired by H.P. Lovecraft, and they were period pieces. And those were well done um, and and well acted. But yeah, I, I'm with you where I kind of like the idea of updating it for contemporary times and taking the the core thoughts and message and uh an idea of the original source and giving it a facelift to fit a modern more contemporary theme so totally i yeah. agree yeah um let's see uh i think that's pretty much it um i have one more talking point but um yeah we've kind of gone over the uh the amount of time that i wanted to to well, cover so I'll- well, I'll just touch real quickly on that. So your question was, did any of the themes and messages feel forced? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot of themes in this. And again, only able to process this, you know, less than 12 hours after watching it. Um, there were a bunch that I noticed. I mean, family is obviously a huge motif throughout the entire show. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it's really important. Augie at the end says, you know, I'm the richest man in the world. I'm going to go see my husband, my kids, and then their kids too, right? So that's the idea is like, family is what's important and and that that you know that's up for debate here and there i'm not super close with my family so for me i would take the money but um, <laughs> but my family that i start yeah i wouldn't trade that for for anything in the world um, yeah. and then there were things uh like the wall walls were a theme in this quite literally that you know they build a wall around roderick to kill him yeah. but then um how they're all under attack basically. And it's like the second episode and Roderick is like, we need to build a wall around this. I'm the commander, blah, 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 blah. You know, you just say, sir, yes, sir. Uh, Madeline says the same thing too. Like we need a firewall around this. And then, you know, they play Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. So I think that walls have a big uh, theme in this. I don't really know exactly what it would mean per se, but it could also just represent the physical, company itself of the building and and like those walls aren't going to protect you forever like yeah. they will come crumbling down and then that's when you'll get the fall of the house of usher all right. of house of usher <laughs> calling back yeah i um i mean what made me think about this question and talking point is like it, it comes off um like i didn't feel it was heavy handed uh but i could see an argument for it um just getting close to the end especially in the last episode uh where madeline talks about um i mean you kind of brought it up uh you know um how 
still at the very end, they did not feel like they were to blame for everyone being addicted to right. their medication. And obviously that like I saw a um uh, a meme yesterday uh that was um it was taken from Euphoria when they were all watching this play that one of their classmates put on and it's making fun of all the really popular kids and the popular kids are so fucking stupid that they don't understand that it's making fun of them until like the end and like one of the you know one of the girls in the audience like turns to their friend is like wait is this about us and like (laughs) like someone put like you know billionaires watching the fall of the house of usher like wait is this show about us yeah (laughs) like um you know so you know obviously you know a lot of this is like a, a indirect or direct you know, finger pointing at the the pharmaceutical industry being like, you know, look what you've fucking done, you fucking monsters. Um, So like I said, I mean, the consumers and I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, And so I could see like an argument being made for that message uh, in the show being a little um, heavy handed or ham fisted, however you want to put it. But I, I liked how unashamed and, just blunt they they were willing to go with this uh you know how it was thinly veiled for most of the series and then you know just at the very end they just let their fucking freak flag fly yeah they're they're just like yeah like you know we're we are directly pointing the finger at exactly who you think we are yeah Um, i liked i liked that a lot i thought it was it was well done and it was well said and she, her monologue was great um, and yeah. really spoke volumes, in, in my opinion. So Yeah, and then she dies from uh, poisoning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she'll, have to, she'll have to look me in the eyes, and he takes out her eyes. So. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, well, that is The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, what uh, what letter grade or star rating uh, or um, goldfishes, uh, bikini goldfishes. bottom... Uh, um, Crusty crabs, would you? Oh boy, give uh, this is an A for me. Um, I still think yeah. Midnight Mass is my favorite, but this is this is an A. This is really good, and I am excited to keep learning about it. Um, it was beautifully done. The score was great. The acting was great. The costume design, set design, production, all that stuff was was top notch. And like I said, love Flanagan. Yep, absolutely. Um, it's an A for me as well. Uh, five stars I gave it on Letterbox. Uh, I, I love the shit out of it. I think, uh, it, it's just going to be really difficult to knock, um, the, uh, the haunting of Hill house out of my right. top spot. It just like everything that makes that show, uh, just the, the familial themes, like that's kind of what does it for me. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think it's that the midnight mass and then fall the house of usher, but like they are it's a neck and neck race um, between the three. I mean, there, you know, there isn't one property by Flanagan that I haven't liked. Um, So yeah. uh, So there's that, but yeah, let's um, let's do our shit that doesn't suck segment, and uh, we'll, we'll peace out. And uh, yeah. So uh, what do you got for our, uh, for your shit that does not suck? Shit that doesn't suck. 
Well, since it is uh, spooky season and I've been watching horror films all the time, there are just a few recommendations I have for people. You may or may not have seen them. Some are newer, some are older. Uh, definitely VHS 85. If you if you enjoy the VHS series is excellent. Check it out. It's on mm-hmm. Shudder. Also on Shudder, Deadstream. Just cannot exp- explain or express it, how much I love this film. It's just so good. Uh, totally Killer on Amazon Prime was fun. Um, it was a more lighthearted horror film that had some pretty brutal kills, and it was a, a good idea. Uh, Your Next is on HBO Max, and that's just a classic, too. Uh, I don't know about classic, but I think it's it, it's good. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And then um, I actually have not seen this, but Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Ver- Vernon. I know a lot of people that love that movie, uh, and I'm a big slasher film guy, and so it is, uh, it's one that I need to watch. But yeah, that's pretty much uh, my shit that doesn't suck. What about you? Nice. Uh, yeah, I did watch Totally Killer last night. It was fun. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was, a, a, a it, it's not what I was expecting. Like it, it kind of felt like hot tub time machine with like kills thrown in, uh, for good measure. Um, so I, I think I was just a little thrown off by like, you know, like I said, I, I knew going in that it was a, a, a comedy horror but it was definitely more like comedy than horror. Right. Uh, yeah. But still good. I, I liked it. Um, but my shit that doesn't suck. I guess I'll have to throw a big fucking giant asterisk on this. Um, the Exorcist Believer, the new David Gordon Green Exorcist film. Apparently, I'm one of like three people that enjoys this movie, um, which is a fucking shame. Um, but yeah, I, I went to go see it. Uh, I saw it in theaters in the Dolby 4k, um, surround sound, and it was a, a fun experience. I was like one of maybe five people in the theater. First time I've been to the theater in probably two years where the experience wasn't ruined by someone. Um, so that was great. Um, that might've been the reason why <laughs> the movie rated so high for me is because I yeah. was actually able to stay locked in and pay attention to the whole thing uh, throughout the entire movie. Um, but I really liked it. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Um, but you know, that I think that kind of comes with the territory of, you know, a, a long running franchise, but one that's not like Halloween or, Friday the 13th that has gotten sequel after sequel after sequel and has kind of kept up with the times for the most part. Like, you know, there there's been movies made throughout the years and decades. Like I can't remember the last time we had an exorcist movie. Like it's been a long ass time. Um, so I, I felt like they were already kind of up against it going in uh, with there just being such a large gap between the last one and this one but you know i you know i i didn't dive too deep into anything any like the active performances or you know i just like don't think too hard about it david did you like it and i was like yeah i enjoyed the fuck out of it you know it was fun um and so yeah that's uh that's my thoughts um i i will say it can be a streamer for like 98 percent of people um but if you're a hardcore exorcist fan i'm zach i know you are (laughs) 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 insert sarcastic laughter um 
But uh, yeah, I I am. It was pretty much the horror movie that got me into horror movies. So uh, yeah, I I kind of I felt like I owed it to myself uh, to to go see it in theaters um, since I actually had the opportunity to. So yeah, um, that's my shit that doesn't suck, and uh, that brings us to the end of the episode. Zach, uh, you want to uh, hit us up with the um, social media and podcast um, credentials yeah. that we can look you up on. So I have two podcasts. One is a movie uh, review podcast. It is called the Don't Be Crazy Podcast. You can find us on all the major apps, and we are on Twitter at at dbcrazypod. Um, and then I also have the Top Five Podcast, where we discuss random top five lists. It could be for any category you can think of, and that is at podcasts top five. Uh, that one is also available on all the streaming services. And then my personal um, Instagram, Twitter is at Zach Dale 60 and that's Z-A-C-H Dale 60, six zero. Um, so yeah, go find me on there. Awesome. Um, and again, Zach, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's always a blast whenever we can do this, either you come on my show or especially talk versa. some flanny, some flanny flan. Absolutely. Um, Cause you know, sometimes, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll be like, let's talk about this movie. And then we get together to talk about it. And, you have, uh, we'll just have, you know, combating thoughts, uh, which will still make for a, uh, an interesting episode. And oh, we always sure. try and res- respect each other's opinions, which is important of any conversation. Um, it's what but, intelligent uh, people do. Exactly. But <laughs> with this, I knew it was going to be fun. Um, I, I know there wasn't a whole lot of adversity thrown in, you know, be like, oh, I like this, but you didn't, whatever. Like we we're just kind of gaga about everything, but it's fun to have those episodes too, where like something's coming out and you're like, Oh, I love this director. I love this filmmaker. Like, you know, and all these actors, like I bet this is going to be good. And then it ends up being great. And and you're like, Oh, I want to talk about it. So yeah. Thanks for, for coming on, especially such short notice. Cause we scheduled this last night. <laughs> so yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. Um, as always, catch us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook group called Geek Garage Podcast Fans and Listeners, where we have nerdy polls and discussions and all that good stuff. Um, we also have a Patreon. We, uh, uh, yeah, um, if you're into giving people your hard-earned money uh, so they can do their thing, then, you know, there's that opportunity and you can leave us a rating and review on spotify or apple Podcasts. um all those links will be in the description below so uh thank you for tuning in and as always be kind stay geeky and eat lots of cheesecake Bye bye